Welcome to Mill Resource Radio, where we highlight military and veteran support organizations. Hear directly from organization leaders and those who've benefited from their services. Thousands of organizations exist, but if you don't know about them, how do you seek their help? Join us for discovery, access, and knowledge about effective military and veteran organizations, sharing their missions and accomplishments directly with you. And now here are your hosts, Linda Crater and Les Davis. Good morning, and we are so glad that you have taken the time to join us today. I'm here with Les Davis. Les, good morning to you. Good morning, Linda. I am so glad that we're going to talk about this. Today's show is not going to have guests. It's going to have just Les and myself because we were talking recently and realized that there are so many aspects to the transition periods, the many transition periods, and the complexity involved is very hard to grasp. So we're going to take a look at a general overview today of the complexities of the various types of military transitions and phases of service. And we'll discuss briefly, because we can't possibly do it justice in one hour, but take a brief overview of the employment transition. So from active duty to employment, active duty to education, college or trade work, medical separation, the importance of family involvement and consideration in all of these transitions, and most importantly, what does a successful transition look like ideally for each of these options? And one of the things we had really specifically focused on was so often transition services of every type are viewed from here's what we think you need to know instead of from the view of the veteran and or recently separated service member. What does it mean from their perspective? So we're going to look at it from a little bit different viewpoint today because what the armed services think that you need might be very different from what you actually are seeking once you are in these spots. Hope that makes sense. So Les, let's start our discussion today with employment because I think it's pretty obvious and studies have shown that everyone needs a purpose. And if you have something to structure your life around that is pleasing to you, that gives you a financial uh, heads up and you feel like you're adding value, it makes a big difference in your happiness and your productivity. Do you see employers well-prepared for hiring veterans? You know, I think some employers, Linda, do an, just do an unbelievable job uh, okay. getting veterans ready to come in and get you know and take them in. We have some uh, employers, like a, a former employer that I actually work for, they actually have a veteran part of the interviewing process. Mm-hmm. They ass- after the after the person, the veteran is then onboarded all the way. They assign a mentor, and then they also have a veterans uh, veterans group resource group in in uh, at each facility. So it's and that's, that helps onboarding. It's it's, it's See, if you're currently on active duty, it's like being assigned that mentor or that sponsor when you first get to your duty station. Mm-hmm. They've really, they've really made it like that. And I, and I, not that every employer does that. As a matter of fact, the large majority don't. But those are the kind of things that really help vets transition into their, um, into their new life. You know, my example, um, coming out of recruiting command and going to work for a school, I, I had their 
recruiting process looked foolish to me. Coming out of a very well organized and run machine like you know recruiting command, as as odd as that sounds, <laughs> but it was it was just that, and you're like, wow, this is totally different. I had a, a retired sergeant major from the army that would just say, look, I know it looks at you know a lot of stuff these guys don't know. Just be patient and do your thing during the day. And if they ask you for an opinion, then give it to them. But you know, just make sure they can see how good you are. And that was really good advice. And and somebody that really mentored me back into the civilian uh, world, and especially where I went in from military recruiting to college recruiting. So I think if you assign people like that, Linda, that that, that really helps that transition out. And then, you know, I mean, I, I, he was my sounding board a lot. Well, that first year, thank God he was there for me. You know, uh, I think that's really important. And onboarding is a relatively new process. I think when there were veterans, you know, looking for employment, et cetera, years ago, it, the the push was we, we want to bring veterans in. But there wasn't the lead up to success, which is what the mentoring and the onboarding does. And I'm so pleased to hear that there are many, many more companies that are indeed having a formal onboarding process with veterans helping other veterans because I think it helps the whole company to understand the value of what veteran service members can bring to a company. You're right because there's so many hiring managers and HR personnel that uh, they're hesitant and they're kind of scared to hire vets because we've, we've got this uh, um, thing around hiring veterans or that everybody has PTSD or everybody has some kind of TBI and they, they're dangerous in the workforce. It's mm-hmm. that the media has played that to the point in the movies. You see the movies that come out, you know, the Hurt Locker and all the movies that portray veterans as victims instead of, you know, the, the people they truly are. Well, let's ask about that. All right. There are companies that are very good about granting accommodations. And accommodations could be something so simple as, you know, if there's a time of stress, you know, you take a five-minute break somewhere in the lunchroom or somewhere quiet. But how does that get educated to the employers, in your opinion? Well, I think it's all, like you're saying, it's all education. I think it's, you know, hiring hiring a, a vet and, you know, and, and then for them to teach or hi, bring in a VA counselor. Wouldn't that be a novel idea of bringing in a VA counselor to help train uh, supervisors who are not veterans or even HR managers um, and all the way up to the CEO? They all, they all need the training because there's such a limited number of people who serve now. It's kind of a novelty to get a veteran in uh, to, you know, these vast corporations and things like that. So I think it's, Bringing in an expert to help train uh, HR, you know, then managers from the the first line supervisor all the way up to mm-hmm. help understand some of these issues that arise. And you're right; sometimes it is just diffusing the situation and getting it, you know, getting a you know a bottle of water or or a cup of coffee. That's all. I mean, it could be things can get settled that that fast instead of something that would blow up. Absolutely. Um, one of the things I constantly hear is that vets may feel that they're underutilized when they're first hired because companies, just like you know, in the military, you start at one level and you get promoted and more responsibility on your way up. Sometimes there are missed expectations by veterans who feel they should be starting higher up, and so they are dissatisfied with where they are in the beginning, which doesn't always set up for success. How do you 
discuss that kind of topic with someone who is thinking they are of higher value, and indeed they might be, but we all have to start somewhere when we're beginning in a company or a new arena. How do you address that? Well, I think you just got to set expectations right up front, and I, that that's maybe what's missing too because you have a, a service member, say he's in over 10 years or maybe even a retiree coming out. These are the experts. I mean, these these guys – I mean, they're expert in their field, whatever they're doing in the military. They have, be, they have, I mean, they have uh, spent the time training. They've spent the time educating themselves. They've probably been through a few leadership courses. Mm-hmm. These are experts. Then to come out of the military and then go into an entry-level position. I mean, I, I did it. I, I had to do it. It was, you know, um, that was what was being offered at the time. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean you can't grow. I mean, in seven years, I hit the VP level. So you, you, you've got to see yourself. Uh, not only where you come in, but the opportunity which you can grow with the company. If you really like that company, then you've really done your research and targeted and think this is a place where I can be successful. Then, it, then if you can afford it and you can um, take the, accept the job, I'd do it and I'd grow with that company. I mean, low pay is better than no pay. Excellent advice. It also gives you experience on the civilian side so that you can build off of that, which I think that and networking are two things that are very difficult to teach people because it's, again, the expectations and then how do you do it? Because you're not going to be as structured and as guided as you were in the military. So let me ask you this question because we we have to move on to the next topic in the next segment. Do you feel that when you are in an employment situation that everyone is thinking ahead to the next step as much as they could be. What do I want to do next? Where are my strengths? What promotion do I want? Do I want to stay with this company and grow with them? Can I continue to add value there or will I add value at another company? Do you think veterans are generally well prepared to plan for their next promotion? No, not if you're talking about right when they transition out, no. I, I think there's just too much going on. I think that they're, they're the veterans are focused on either, like we're saying, either going right into the workforce or going to school. Mm-hmm. And they, it's that, especially, you know, the large majority of vet, uh, married veterans, they want, they need that security. So mm-hmm. they're just trying to get that job. And then once they get the job, uh, then they can see if they can grow up the company. And instead of really researching, that last six months, Linda, is why you're in the military, it is hectic. The transition mm-hmm. class you go through for that week, I mean, you're getting so much information thrown at you from your VA benefits, which is probably the most important thing, even though... And the most confusing. Oh, oh gosh. <laughs> I, I can't even remember. I mean, I mean, obviously, I went through it in 2002, but it was so fast and fast-paced. I look back, and I, I the most important that, I don't even remember the most important. And it's gotten better, you know, and it's heck, gotten a heck of a lot better from what the... the uh, the golf war, you know, golf war before what they went mm-hmm. through. It's like here's your two fourteen, good luck, mm-hmm. you know. So they're so it's, it's gotten better in the transition. They're they're recognizing it. So it's so really, I don't think they're preparing for joining a company and then looking at okay, here's here's where I can grow. I don't think that's the first. Uh, I would agree with you. It's premature at that point. I guess I'm talking a little further along when oh. they have been in a job and and. So I'm taking employment to the next phase. Yeah. Are they taking a look at planning their future? Because in the military, your future is based on, you know, your fit reps and, and 
where the uh, spaces are for the next openings and that kind of thing. So I'm just wondering if that's part of it later on, of course, I'm talking. Um, yeah, I do. I think that, that once you once like once I got situated and I think this this is everybody who gets out, um, if they want to grow in the company and you know get leadership positions, I think they they take the risk and they do what's what's necessary. I mean, I moved my family to Florida because I seen the possibility of a promotion there and a position. So and it, it you know played out. The gamble paid off. But it was I think veterans see that. I think they can. Wonderful. We're yeah. going on a break. We'll be right back. We're Mel Resource Radio, and we'll be back after these short messages. Join the millions of women each month who listen to Wise Health for Women Radio. Women are pressed daily to give more, learn more, and be more, often at the expense of mind, body, or spirit. Join us for revitalizing conversations on fresh ways to view your limited time, encouraging new, healthier perspectives. You provide a special spark to those around you, and you manage many roles. Entrepreneur, mom, wife, coach, friend, daughter, and more. Here's a great way to inspire and nurture you. On Wise Health for Women Radio, host Linda Crater and her amazing guests share how to move toward your wishes and dreams and find what is possible in your busy life. If not today, then when? Take steps to flourish over 40. Join us on Wise Health for Women Radio, Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, on iTunes, and more at wisehealthforwomenradio.com. Helping women thrive. ready for a big change in your work, your career, your happiness, your life. It's time for the Million Dollar Mindset with Marla Tabaka. Monday afternoons at 2, 1 central on Toginet.com. Marla believes that with the right mindset, anything is possible. Join us as successful life coach Marla Tabaka inspires you and her clients to explore, discover, and live your dreams by developing what she calls the Million Dollar Mindset. Marla will inspire you to take action on your dreams and reveal secrets to success that will help you realize your own unique power. Tune into the Million Dollar Mindset for heartwarming stories with Marla Tabaka. Learn tips and tricks to building a successful business and unlock the secrets to creating a happier, more balanced life through abundant thinking and attraction power. For more information on the Million Dollar Mindset, go to our website, MarlaTabaka.com. That's M-A-R-L-A-T-A-B-A-K-A.com. It's the Million Dollar Mindset with Marla Tabaka. Monday afternoons at 2, 1 p.m. Central on Toginet.com. Welcome back. We are talking today, Les Davis and I, about the complex nature of the world of transitions, all of them. In the first segment, we talked about employment and some of the challenges there and some of the progress that has been made. In this segment, we're going to, unless you have additional thoughts, Les, move on to education. Well, I'd like to uh, just talk about one last topic of course, uh, with, with employment, and it has to do with um, just over the years, you know, talking to different employers, Linda, about what what they're uh, seeing in the veteran community, what their what their uh, dissatisfactions are when they okay. hire. And I, I just think that the, the number one thing is they, that I hear is the best don't stick around that first job. You believe this? I actually had a hiring manager tell me I won't hire a veteran right out of the military. They never stick. I don't. I don't want to deal with that. I need any employees to stick around. 
Interesting. Okay. Which, which I think a lot of our the onboarding that we talked about earlier, I think mm-hmm. that solves a lot of the problem. But having that mentality of I'm not going to hire a veteran because he's right out of the military, I know he's not going to stick around. But that's something that you hear a lot of. So are you saying that those joining these companies need to uh, make a commitment and reassure someone that they are going to give it their best try? They're going to give it their best try. And and hopefully the, a hiring manager or a veteran in that company then can start a veterans resource group. And I also want to, if anybody's listening that is a, that is a veteran working for any any company, you got to remember you're you because you are a veteran, you're an advocate for all veterans in that company. Mm-hmm. That if you see something that you need to start, or you see you see a veteran coming on, he's feeling kind of lost. And remember how you were when you got there. Maybe you should you know grab a hold of him and mentor. So that's I, I think there's a lot of things we can do on both sides. But that dissatisfaction, I think, that is key to a very to a very successful start. Um, and understanding how they're looking at us when we're coming out of the military or even joining the organization. Say we've been out a year and then we join an organization. So I think it's just giving it your best shot and uh, try and stick around. Well, you should stick around if it's if it's serving you well. Clearly, we're not saying mm-hmm. that someone should stay in a job that is not a good fit um, or if they have changed what they thought they wanted to do. I think that's sometimes the reason people leave. They thought they wanted to do X, Y, Z. And it turns out that Maybe that isn't actually what they want to do. So there are always good reasons for why you stay with a job or leave a job. Um, but I, that's a very good point about if there's a bias of they don't stick, vets don't stick, that you know there has to be a, an assurance on the other part and a, and a competency shown that you are adding value right away. Okay, let's move on to education because that's often another step that people go into. And their life experiences of a vet, they're very familiar with structure, and they're often very diligent and strong students. Are schools, in your opinion, because I know you work in the education area, appreciative of this attribute of veterans, that they're diligent, that they're disciplined, that they will do the work, they will show up on time, and they will contribute to the class? The instructors I've talked to and the, the administrators I've talked to love the veterans being in their, in their school. Mm. They're, uh, well, you know, I'm, I'm trade school heavy, right? This is where mm-hmm. I spent majority of my life. So trade schools, I'm talking specifically. Mm-hmm. They are informal leaders. They mentor the younger students. They take control of a classroom. Say, you know, the younger guys are getting out or maybe there's a, a situation where the vet, they can diffuse real quick. Mm-hmm. They're, they are just, they have become the informal leaders in that classroom. And it's just not because they're, they feel this need to be in a power position. It's just, that's who we are. You know, mm-hmm. you see something, you just take charge. It is, and that the instructors absolutely love that. And even in the even in the shop, when you're doing your your work, they when they finish, then they also we also as a former NCO, I love to train. So if I see somebody mm-hmm. struggling, I can go help them. It's just something that from day one that we just do. That we're trained to do that. So it's the instructors, the schools, the administrators. They all love having veterans in their in their schools. That's terrific to hear because it, you, you really do want that if that is the next step that someone wants to take to go to school, that they are appreciated. I've also heard that, and I've talked to many vets, who felt a little confused in the beginning because they were there with a purpose to get an education, to move on to the next step of their lives. And sometimes the younger students seem to lack a certain 
discipline or came to class unprepared. And, and some of that is youth. And some of that is also not being tested the way vets are tested. How would you address that? I, I couldn't agree more with that. We've had several situations where uh, veterans have actually lectured these students. Or they, uh, that younger student uh, was trying to you know, kick in the back of the chair of the vet, trying to egg him on. And that, that's never a good thing to do. But it's but it's something they have to do. And then, you know, to stand up and go, you know, you guys really got to start focusing. You're you know, you're, you're not contributing to the class, just like in just like in a training environment in the military. If you're not contributing, you're not part of the team. So they're really trying. The vets really try to make that classroom, you know, an essentially a team so they can all work together and function together better. So they again, they become that formal leader, that that mentor inside that classroom. And it's not the instructor doesn't want to do it. That's his job. But it's just the vets are really assisting those guys uh, to do that and take control of that younger student. Which is smart for keeping the continuity and the communication going. It's very smart. One of the things that's always intrigued me is that the metrics for student vets are not standardized in any way. So when we hear stats used about there's a low graduation rate or they change schools so often or it isn't college isn't a good fit for everyone and it diminishes the success and that's in air quotes when the veteran is making very strong informed choices for them aren't you one of those students that started at one school and finished at another oh my yeah so <laughs> I, I went uh from uh let me see my first school i think was university of maryland city colleges of chicago um Kansas State University, um, and then I think then I finished up at Bellevue. But I went through all those schools because in the military, you know, you move around so much, you do this and do that. Mm-hmm. So you 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 just get you're just going to these different schools and getting these different um, uh, experiences in these classrooms. And some were good, some you know were less. But it was um, you do you, you transition into the into, whenever you go to a new duty station. You know, at Fort Raleigh, Barton County Community College was actually the, one of the first ones. So it was one of the, so it, it, you go to these different schools and my gosh, man, you, you end up with a transcript that looks, you know, like mine, like uh, 16 pages. It's crazy. So it's, um, yeah, I, it's just what it is. But it's not necessarily negative. And that's what we were talking, that's what oh. I was trying to draw you to no. is yes. that the metrics then would say that Explain how the metrics are confusing that way, because graduation rate is something that people are looking at. So if they looked at your first three schools and saw that you did not graduate, that's often a black mark for each of those three schools. But you were a success. You did graduate. You did move forward. And yet the way they measure these uh, milestones is very confusing. Well, you're right. So you get it. So you get a school. And let, it, it could be now. There's they're measured different, believe it or not. Not all schools are measured the same. Right. So there's huge difference in a for-profit compared to non-profit. There's more scrutiny on a for-profit school. Okay. So you have um, you have a a, uh, a a school out there that has a let's say a a 50% graduation rate or an online program, which I was just looking at this morning, a 7% graduation rate. Ouch. Okay. How? The thing is, are you committed to finish that? If you're an out, if mm-hmm. you're a veteran on the outside and you're 
you're not you're not inside the military, but you're a veteran just working, and you want to. How are you, you committed to go from start to finish? Mm-hmm. And then and if you are, great. But if you are inside the military, let's just go with the, the service members that are inside. And you say you're going to a school inside um, while you're in in the military, and you're taking an online class. And then all of a sudden, you get halfway through it, and a deployment's coming up. You can't take the next class, mm-hmm. so you drop. And you're doing that throughout your military career. You're dropping and you're constantly not being able to pursue that, you know, the next class. And that's why it takes these guys sometimes their entire career to get a bachelor's degree mm-hmm. because of the deployment schedule. Then you're inside military school schedule. I mean, you can go to the Sergeant Major Academy anytime in, in Fort Lewis, Texas for the United States Army. And the probably half of those guys don't even have a bachelor's degree and they're, they're at the Sergeant Major Academy. But then they get that year while they're there to go to school to achieve that. That's one of the goals they, they wanted to do. But can you imagine going 20-some years in the military and taking that one class at a time, mm-hmm. being deployed? And it is. It can be like, man, it's just you can't get into that rhythm like you do. Like when I got out and I started going to online school, I got in that rhythm. And every class then just became something, you know, you just do. It just, you know, your, your time's committed. But then inside the military – you go take one class, you stop. Then you go to your, you do your army job or military job. Then when you get your next chance, you take it. And that could be the next year. I mean, I, I see my son struggling with that right now. He's been in eight years and he's, he's only has an associate's degree. Because I, I'm sorry. And yeah, the work schedule. You're right. Uh, but I guess what I'm coming back to each time is, isn't the metric for success for each veteran or service member gaining an education, success in what they're trying to achieve. So if it's the associate's degree, if it's getting a a bachelor's degree, if it is leaving service to become an entrepreneur and so they took business courses along the way, how do you ever measure these things so that it becomes a more standardized, understandable thing so you can use it to choose institutions or trade schools to go to? Well, right now we're leaving that to the federal government to, to decide. I think if mm. there was an actual view. How's of that school, working? <laughs> right. Yeah. So it's like I said, I, I was looking at one uh, one university day, and I, I you can't see anywhere where their, their graduation or placement rates are. But then I went to a nonprofit university, and of course they're more scrutinized, so it has to be there. And it, it was there. I seen all their stuff. So I think there has to be a, a joint. Everything. Everybody has to be measured together. What is what does that success look like? And it's a real thing. We, and I think there should be a waiver for schools saying if you're if you're uh, uh, you have a lot of guys that are active duty going to your school and they're dry, you know, and they have they can't take that next class and they can't finish the program. Well, I think those should be waiverable things where we have to understand that, that kind of situation. Where where you have more time on the outside and you're a veteran, you know, we had even in my program that both bachelor's and master's. We had people that had to drop out because of the work or, you know, family issues. And that, right. that happened. And we're right. going to have to stop for another break. Okay. I knew we would get into this. We'll be back after these messages. We're Mill Resource Radio, and we'll be back after these short messages. Are you a family caregiver in the military community? Join us on VeteranCaregiver.com. 
In the military and veteran community, there are five and a half million caregivers of our nation's injured, ill, and wounded. Whether your family member served in World War II or in the most recent Iraq and Afghanistan conflicts, there are unique needs of military and veteran caregivers. Navigating any medical system takes skill and help in obtaining good care. Veteran Caregiver has access to a rich network of advocates and organizations to assist you. Find excellent resources, short informative videos, an active Facebook community, and empathetic support. Veteran Caregiver supports those from every service branch and those who served in any conflict. Need information on sandwich caregiving, EFMP, or aging issues? VeteranCaregiver.com provides information and community to those managing busy lives with compassionate care. That's VeteranCaregiver.com. Support for those who care. Welcome back. We're continuing our discussion about the complexity of all the military transitions. Now we're going to talk about medical separation. And while that's a smaller group of veterans, active duty shifting into veteran status, it is a meaningful group that we want to touch upon. And then we will also segue into the involvement of the military family in every one of these types of transition, whether it's employment, education, medical transition, or who goes to school, where, what, who goes next? I mean, oftentimes this is where a shift in responsibilities comes. So first let's talk less about the fact that those who are medically separated have a lot of challenges and phases of recovery. Some people have recoverable injuries and rehabilitation, and there are others that may have ones that will plateau at a certain point. For those with invisible injuries, <laughs> explaining traumatic brain injury or PTSD is a challenge because it's invisible and people think that it's, it's time limited. Okay, you've been back two years. You should be great. But what are the ways other veterans can help those who are medically separated readjust to and I don't like this term, but I'll use it, the new normal and where they are today, not necessarily where they will be tomorrow. You know, actually, a lot of our policy that, that I put in place was from recommendations from veterans at the school I worked at. And okay. what we would do, and we spotted this early on. I mean, we spotted, you know, the guys were coming back and going to school, PTSD issues, TBIs. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, gosh, being able to relate, being, having that transition uh, issues. And so what we decided to do was work with VA. We brought the VA clinic was close to the school. We brought a counselor in to set up shop. We gave her a classroom, and then she could see students as needed. Mm-hmm. So that was a recommendation by one of the students. Then now it's policy that all schools have to do this. But then there's that attendance policy where if a student misses to go to a VA appointment, a medical appointment, that they can get back into school. And then the third is just having that that group. The school can have a veterans group just like a business can. So veterans can then support themselves, which I, they, they support them better than anybody else can because they've, you know, we've had ate the same dirt, wore the same boots, most likely been deployed in, in similar places and understand each other better. Okay. Moving away from education, though, moving to those who are medically separated with serious injuries where their focus cannot be employment and cannot be school. When you're looking at 
invisible and visible injuries, a lot of times the difficulty is explaining it to your neighbors, explaining it to your own family. I know far too many families who are distant from one another, not geographically, but emotionally, because they simply don't understand these types of injuries. And I think there's been a lot more tension on traumatic brain injury. We have the NFL to thank for that. And PTSD, as you already mentioned, is in movies and television and that kind of thing, usually with a very negative outlook. But let's shift to those where you've got caregivers and families carrying a very large load. And shifting the family perspective from service to recovery means a full involvement. And so we we have caregiver networks now. We have um, some caregiver programs. The, the new law that was passed will expand in time, not immediately, the caregiver program to support those who are at home taking care of a veteran who is injured badly. And it's a very difficult communication period. And and I think as we tie together all of these types of transitions, communication is the biggest thing missing. I'd like to input that while you're talking about a lot of veteran peer advising and mentoring and helping, I think family members, military spouses, um, extended family members, children, youth also benefit from peer groups, others that understand their experience. Would you agree? I couldn't agree more with you on that. It is that the communication piece as you're transitioning back and you're, you know, you're injured. What you, what, and it's always as, as a veteran, you're trying to transition because you've been that provider. Mm-hmm. And now you're, because of your injury, you, you got to deal with that. And then you have to be able to open up to your spouse, you know, about how you're feeling. Cause you know, you don't want to go to that dark space, you know, so you want yeah, that communication. You have to keep with your caregiver. The communication, yeah, to, well, even with the kids. I mean, you don't want to be right. as open with the kids as you are your spouse, but, you know, share it because they can feel the stress. You know, we've had very, we've, gosh, we've had guests on the shows that have talked about that. So it's, mm-hmm. it is, it's that open communication be, with the whole family and, and uh, being open to talk about everything with your, your caregiver or your spouse. Which is not easy to do. I mean, it's it's easy enough to say, but... I mean, we would urge from talking with many, many guests on the radio about these types of transitions, you know, a a good bit of counseling can truly help you to understand what's going on or complementary therapies. If you can't talk to a person, go talk to a horse, a service dog, um, journaling, a lot of complementary and alternative therapies do help along with the standardized evidence-based programs that the VA offers. And I think so often you feel like you're stuck with only what the VA offers, which is couldn't be farther from the truth. There are wonderful organizations, nonprofits, private enterprises that help veterans with understanding, making sense of what they went through. Um, you know, we don't talk about it often, but there's often moral injury. There are some things that linger. And one thing we do know about PTSD is that there is no cure. But you can manage the symptoms if you get treatment. If you ignore it, you will swallow it and it will stay there. So we do urge everyone to please seek the help that you have at your disposal and also go into your communities and seek it from there. I'd like to move now to the value and need for 
the dynamic in the families, it's not just communication. Oftentimes in the next stage, whatever it may be, employment, entrepreneurship, education, medically separation, there is a lot of shifting roles and responsibilities. Just like when someone deploys, the military spouse takes on different roles. So when you come back and you're now no longer active duty, you are a veteran. This life after active duty and and the decision making is what elements do you see help families making a successful transition? Well, it all comes back to communication again. Not only are you transitioning out into your new career, your spouse is doing the same thing. And more than likely, as you're transitioning, I know, and I think I've told you this in previous shows, I was thinking about what's my next job going to be, what's, you know, looking at the broad. And, and my wife, thank God for her, she was thinking, where are we going to live? Right. The house, you know, how are we going to yes. get there, the move, what the move is going to be like, you know, and everything. And as we start planning that, uh, it, it all came together. But it was... Uh, I was thinking about just trying to find that job and, and how am I going to support my family mm-hmm. where she was thinking about, well, you know, there's more to it than that. And, um, yeah, think, yeah. So you have to communicate. I mean, it, that not only that, then just man, the kids, it's exactly what we were talking about before that transition from, you have to ask your spouse too, is she going to stay? Are you going to stay right where you're at currently? Is everything working out? where you're at, so you're going to stay in Colleen, Texas, for example, or San Diego, or wherever. Or you're going to move back home. Or is, is, it, is there a job that you've just accepted that's going to take you to you know, Little Rock, Arkansas? Who knows? So, I mean, there's all of these things that you have to plan for, talk to. Is that good for my family? Is, are you, you know, is, is the spouse going to be, is it employment at that location? Is, 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 it, is it good or is it poor? Is he or she going to be able to find a job there? Are the schools good? There are a a thousand decisions that can be made, but I think we want to underscore the fact that Mm -hmm. the military family is deeply or or ideally should be deeply involved in a two-way communication when these decisions are made. Because when they're not taken into consideration or the communication is silent for whatever reason, that's when marriages are strained. That's when success doesn't succeed as often as it could, but it it is really very interesting that the more involvement, the better communication, and oftentimes the families that you have served with, that you stay in touch with, they help a great deal too. Yes. That, I will tell you, that is uh, getting, like I said, I I was fortunate. My my transition was very stressful, Mm -hmm. but I, I had an opportunity to stay in place. Um, and then a year later, after we kind of got our true north, if you will, then I was able to stay with the company and move on. A lot of people, you know, of course, some people don't have that opportunity. It was just because I was out in the civilian community working in recruiting command mm-hmm. that I was able to. And I was able to and then have that person and have other people to talk to and get advice and, and that. It, Linda, it, it is um, it is stressful. I Man, I'll tell you, if I had any advice to give to a transitioning family – it is always keep that always keep this the your your well for me with my wife keeping her informed on interviews i was going on and with the possibility of a move hey let's look at the outlook for you at these places and your skill sets uh then we can start looking at schools then you can start looking at everything else that falls into it but it is you're exactly right it's it's keeping that open communication and networking 
It is. And it's also the fact that everyone serves in a military family. And now this is often the most stressful time. When you're in the military, you you know what you've signed up for and you know that means probably you know, moves and relocations, um, maybe unaccompanied tours, whatever it may be. But now it's almost unlimited potential. And sometimes that can really be more stressful than knowing the structure that you had. Did that happen to you? Yes. Because I had a very, you know, inside the, you know, inside the recruiting, I mean, I was talking to my first sergeant, I mean, gosh, every, it seemed like every 15 minutes, but it's probably like every other hour. <laughs> and then when I got out, I remember just sitting there at my home office and I, I called my boss, Denise, and I said, I, I just asked her, hey, do we got to talk every day? And she was like, yeah, if you want to, you know, talk about you. So you go from this very structured environment mm-hmm. to a very loose environment. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was just dealing with that, that, that life change in itself was almost stressful. I mean, it sounds crazy that you could have that much freedom and still be stressed out. But that's it's an adjustment. Yes. I mean, it's it, it, for me. Yeah, it's that I think it actually makes good sense. You know, anytime you make a transition from a structured environment to a, a looser environment, as you said, um, that freedom can be great to look forward to, but it can also be kind of cautionary. So we have to take the last break of the hour and we will be back after these messages. Stay tuned. We're Mill Resource Radio, and we'll be back after these short messages. Join the millions of women each month who listen to Wise Health for Women Radio. Women are pressed daily to give more, learn more, and be more, often at the expense of mind, body, or spirit. Join us for revitalizing conversations on fresh ways to view your limited time, encouraging new, healthier perspectives. You provide a special spark to those around you, and you manage many roles. Entrepreneur, mom, wife, coach, friend, daughter, and more. Here's a great way to inspire and nurture you. On Wise Health for Women Radio, host Linda Crater and her amazing guests share how to move toward your wishes and dreams and find what is possible in your busy life. If not today, then when? Take steps to flourish over 40. Join us on Wise Health for Women Radio, Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, on iTunes, and more at wisehealthforwomenradio.com. Helping women thrive. Welcome back. We are talking today about the complexity of the military transitions. And in this fourth segment, we're going to cover a a number of topics quickly. And we'll we'll call this one skills, use, or gaps, and opportunities for both vets and military spouses and partners. And as you look at the broad range of what you can do when you leave the military, you mentioned – very much that your wife played a strong role in keeping your head on straight with the full family considerations while you were focusing on the financial uh, underpinning for your family. So as you take the communication, as you've already said, keep it open and keep, keep talking with one another in an effective manner. 
it also may be the opportunity now for the spouse's turn, if you will, to return to school, uh, make a point about, well, let's move closer to family so they see the children more often. So as you shift the priority of the family, if you have that um, desire, does that what things make that more successful than others, in your opinion? Well, I, I, you're, you're exactly right. She kept me straight. And every time I, I'd think of, hey, let's, uh, what do you think of this? You know, and that was <laughs> probably something crazy. She was like, yeah, but what? No, we're not, you know, pretty much no, that was a dumb idea. But I mean, she'd say it a lot better. Um, <laughs> but as we were transitioning, she was, we decided to move closer uh, to the family. So the mm. family, we were away for so long. And, and we, you know, we had, I had my three kids. And so to give them a chance to get to know their grandparents better. So it, it so one of our decisions was made just based on that, and I could transfer with the school I just went to work for. And then, fortunately, very fortunately, my wife got working for Mayo Clinic, so mm. and was able to transfer that job down to here in Florida. So every decision we made from that point on was a team decision. And even when I would say, "Hey, what about you know?" Have you ever seen that commercial where that guy's looking at the ceiling and said, "I could," and the wife says, "Oh," or she laughs at him? That's almost what it, the conversation was like in the. <laughs> Yes, but you are a model for having put it together and you appreciate the value that she gave. I think that's that's a cautionary note to everyone that, you know, sometimes when you're told no, that was not that was a crazy idea. It's actually the best thing that you could hear because it it does cause you to uh, reassess what is good for the entire family, not just maybe one member of the family. Let's talk about entrepreneurship because there are a growing number of entrepreneurs coming out of the military because in the military, you have to resolve problems all the time. And so problem resolvers, finding a better way to do thing, things, um, moving on from what always has been done before. In other words, being a disruptor in some way or having a better mousetrap. When you want to start a business or become a business owner, why do you think that this is such a growing arena for veterans and why it suits them so well? Well, for I, for a couple different reasons. I think they, they think we think out of the box, right? Mm-hmm. Something new. They think of uh, a market that's not being represented properly. I mean, look mm-hmm. at what Nine Line has done with T-shirts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and Grunt Style has done with the style of T-shirt and Black Rifle Coffee. These guys have just taken it by storm. And Black, Black Rifle, they, I mean, more and more people are, it's much better coffee than the, the competitor brand. But they are, they've just taken it, right? I mean, they have just taken things right. by the horns and just have done great because their worth ethic, their idea that a better product is out there and they're going to, they're going to take it. And I think that's the, that's what we do. We go in, we see an issue, we solve it, or else we tackle it, and we take it a step further. We have um, a lot of guys that will start, uh, a lot of vets that will go to skills training, for example. They want mm-hmm. to start a motorcycle shop. I got a friend of mine that graduated from school, started his own motorcycle shop in Daytona. What a great place to start a, a motorcycle shop, yes. by the way. Anyway, he's he's grown this to, he grew it very fast. I think it was because of his just desire and his passion for the you know motorcycles itself, but also he seen something that wasn't there, and he again took it to that next level, just like it's very similar to what those guys did in t-shirts and coffee. Mm-hmm. You know, they see a problem, they think they can make it better, and you know what? They have made it better. Well, and entrepreneurship offers both 
heavy responsibility, a lot of creativity, and it, it really needs to be quite disciplined because you are your own boss. So there's often another way that people go in, which is also a growing area for vets, which is to purchase a franchise that has some structure, but some of the creativity of full entrepreneurship. And it, it's, it's fascinating how this is an area that has grown really fast. And do you know anything about that? I, I do. Matter of fact, a friend of mine, he was in Recruiting Command too with me. He started uh, in, in Alabama. He started uh, uh, Tropical Smoothie. Bought the franchise, and huh. I was asking her about it. He's like, well, that's just kind of simple. They, they really give you the formula to be successful. He did say uh, there were times where, you know, I didn't get paid the week, but there were other times where I had good weeks when we made a lot of money. So you got to be, you got to know that. And he, then he, he also went on to say, I've never been distressed because if you want to feel stressed, just feel that you're not making enough money to make your payroll. That was that he said that that were his stress, most stressful weeks. Mm -hmm. So, it, yeah, so there that's out there. And those what he the only thing he did tell me, he's like, you know what, I wish I would have bought two instead of one when I first started. So, he ended up buying a second one in his town he lives, but he's he's been he's very successful at this. And so, I think that's a great way to go is if you want to get into business, you don't have that you know huge startup capital that you'd need, franchise is, is a great opportunity. Well, there are often vet uh, discounts offered, and it's also another one where the spouse may or may not be involved as a team member, as you say. But entrepreneurship will always carry um, risk, but it's also carrying reward, which is a very interesting way to go. So let's talk about skills gaps because you and I both admire Mike Rowe and him talking about 6.2 million trade jobs going wanting for people because the push has been to be college educated as opposed to trade school educated and the structured online B-schools are training the perspective changing from the military way to what's right for your family, you may need to fill some of those skills gaps that you have. Absolutely. The, uh, there's a ton of jobs out there. So, you know, going back to education is going to school for a very short period of time instead of four to six years, mm -hmm. getting a skill that is needed, whether it's uh, diesel, automotive, aviation, motorcycle. I mean, anything that needs repaired, that could be electrician, plumber, I mean, Carpentry, HVAC, um, right? There's I, tons. I, HVAC. I mean, trying to get a tile laid in my house right now. People are eight weeks out, Linda. Eight, <sighs> eight weeks. I was, you know, I there's so it. much building. Going, there's so much building going on around where I live. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's eight weeks. So, it there those skills are needed, and it's a way to make fast money, and it's also a way for somebody to start their own business. Mm-hmm. Because the, the skills, is, they're just needed out there. So I, I couldn't agree more with getting the, the skills gap. Um, I was just, I was during the break, I was telling you, I read that article last night where they contribute the veteran unemployment rate, going from that 12% in 2010 to 4%, 3.9, wherever it's at right now. Uh, that was the decline because so many veterans were finding success and huge employment in, in skills training. Now, looking at those you served with, is there a sort of an even distribution about those who went to school, those who went to trade, those who started their own businesses, those who um, went into employment and stayed in their field? I'm imagining you're going to tell me, no, it's wide all over the board. 
It, it truly is. I have friends that have their own businesses. I have guys that I served with that just they just stayed retired. You know, they had uh, they they play golf, and I got other friends that are part time. They just you know just pick up some hours every now and then, and and just in, they're just enjoying their life. And my friend that has a franchise, another friend that have the motorcycle shop, other friends that are just working. Uh, it is. It's, it's kind of scattered uh, all over the board. They, there's not one. There's not one size fits all. Really good point. And I think the the other interesting thing is that if you take the perspective that this is an entire second chance in an adult life, it's an opportunity to do what you maybe considered while you were busy you know, being trained and, and serving, et cetera. But now the choice is up to you. And choices, you have to live with the consequences of choices, of course. So there's some learning experiences along the way. But I think you might agree that adversity often gives us more education than all the successes in the world. And all of that c- comes together to make you into a really high-value contributor to the community you live in. You do. You've got to figure out what your why is, right? Mm-hmm. What do you love to do? What's your passion? Mm-hmm. Um, I, as, I, as I was getting into it, I, I wanted to do something to make sure um, I was going to do and work as hard so my kids wouldn't have to go through what I went through for them to be successful. Mm-hmm. All right, because you, um, you know, you always want to make a better life uh, for your children. So that's that was one thing that I wanted to make sure that that I worked hard just to make sure they wouldn't have to do the same things I did. And I think parents do that. I I think that is what parents do. But it's, again, taking into consideration that a lot of sacrifices were made along the way. And now it's time to see if you can set them up with a firm foundation. Anything I'd missed in asking you about all of these transitions before we close? No, it's just the transition. It's hard keeping open communication with your spouse. And anybody that's got out before you that you still know, ask them. Get get involved with those guys. Ask them a lot of questions that can help you transition into into your next life. You're exactly right. It is a new life. You enjoy your military life and be proud of your what you've accomplished. But this is a new this is a chance to start your new career, a new life, and uh, find those uh, the veterans like you had in the military. Your friends in the military. You're gonna find those same group of guys on uh, in the civilian life. So. Use your, use your network. And I'm, I'm going to add to that because what I have seen is that there is such a close community that no matter where a veteran moves, there are other veterans there who can contribute to your quality of life, you know, both from the service aspect and from their new lives now. So as we look at the complexity of transitions, all of these considerations we talked about today, they're all personal. But it's really important to prepare for each phase, and that's what we tried to do today is to give you an idea of what's out there and then how to adjust for personal success. We will be doing a whole lot more shows on very specific topics and also organizations that provide some services that support vets and their families through some of these decision-making processes. So we hope that you will continue to join us, and thank you so much for listening today. Les, thank you for your contribution, and I hope that we've Open your eyes to some thoughts you may not have considered for a while. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to Mill Resource Radio. For more information, go to millresourceradio.com. 